Amen, amen. Praise God. Sister Sarah, if you could put up this week's verse, Matthew 28, uh, verse uh, 19 to 20. And uh, this week we're studying together and reading Matthew chapter 28, which are the final words of Jesus. And before we dismiss our children and the Bridge Student Network, uh, we want to uh, read this together. Matthew chapter 28. Verse 19, go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Verse 20, and teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. So we want to encourage you to read Matthew chapter 28 every day this week and let the words impact your spirit. Amen. So we're going to at this time, dismiss uh, the, the Life Kids and also the Bridge Student Network to um, to their time. And uh, exciting today, Brother Ivan is going to be speaking to the Bridge Student Network. And he's getting married on Sunday, but we're putting him to work on Tuesday. Amen. Uh, he and Veronica. So we're, uh, we're uh, praying that the Lord would bless them. Amen. Praise God. I'm going to, the rest of you, if you grab your Bibles and you, you may be seated because we just read our text for today, uh, Matthew 28, 18, and 19. So you can go ahead and, and be seated. We're going to go ahead and start studying the Word of God together. And our subject matter for our Bible study tonight is the last words of Jesus. The last words of Jesus. Before Jesus ascended to heaven, there was some significant important and meaningful words that he shared with us. Now, there are four places where the last words of Jesus appear. In Matthew, in Mark, in Luke, and in the book of Acts. So we're going to look at these four uh, because as you look at all four of these, you get a complete picture of the message that Jesus gave his disciples before he ascended, never to be seen again. Uh, in, uh, by his disciples, but we're going to see him coming again, the angels declared to us. But these were the last time that they saw Jesus in the flesh, his final words, and uh, some people may wonder, well, why are they different? Why uh, are they different? And when you look at the Gospels, you discover that the stories of Scripture are told from, looks like I'm Brother Maddox tonight, that's cool. Uh, the, the stories of Jesus are told from different viewpoints or different perspectives or different angles to give us a full picture, just like, um, this may be a bad example, but uh, if uh, there is a, a, a play, a football play on television uh, or basketball, in a basketball game, they'll show you the play from four or five different angles uh, when they're replaying it to give you a full picture of what happened. And the same is true with the Synoptic Gospels. This four versions of Jesus' final words give us a full picture of what he was telling his disciples to do before he ascended into heaven. So it's important not just to select one and say, well, these are Jesus' final words. All together is Jesus' final message before they said uh, that uh, he ascended. As we read, it said, Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, uh, this beginning in verse 18, all power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Then he says, go. Everybody say, go. He says, go ye therefore. Now, what is therefore, therefore? Because it's pointing back to the fact that Jesus says, all authority 
and all power in heaven and earth is given unto me. Because of that, I have authority and you have authority to go. Go you. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. So uh, some things that I want you to pick up from this right off the bat is, first of all, Jesus says, because I've been given all power, I have the authority. And here's the thing. You guys, all of us that have been commissioned, we now have the authority to go and teach and baptize and reach. So first of all, we know that it says that we've got authority. Secondly, it says that we're to go, that we are to go. We can't remain stationary, but we've got to go. And then it says that we have the right and the responsibility to reach and to teach. Everybody say teach. It's mentioned twice in Jesus' final words here. Go and teach all nations, teaching them to obey. So teaching people about Jesus and teaching people how to obey Jesus is an important part of the final words of Jesus. I want, I want us just to get a grasp of how important the Great Commission is because Jesus came and redeemed us by His blood. He shed His blood on Calvary and, and uh, secured the atonement for us. He did the work, but now He says, I have made salvation possible now it's your job to go publish it it's your job to go tell people to teach them to baptize them and to make sure that what i did is now published throughout the whole world it's the good news so that is our responsibility that's our work as the church to go forward with this thing called the great commission i want to talk for a minute about living with a mission living your life with a mission. A mission would be something or a purpose or a cause that's bigger than yourself. If I'm living for myself, then I'm not living with a mission. If I'm living just to uh, uh, take care of my desires, my hungers, and my needs, then I am not living on a mission. A mission is the act of sending someone and uh, it can imply a body of persons sent to perform a service or to carry on an activity or a specific task that a person or a group is charged to perform. This is what the Great Commission is. You and I have been given a responsibility by Jesus Christ to carry on an activity or a purpose. And He made clear to us statements what the commission or what the mission that we are supposed to do is and as a result you and I no longer live for ourselves now we live life on mission and too many people are just drifting through life not just unbelievers even church people are just drifting through life too many people are shooting arrows with no target, just expending energy. This is a description of a life without purpose, a life without direction, a life without meaning, and a life without vision. It's just existence. It's just survival. 
And then there are other people that are very focused, but they devote or dedicate their lives to inferior purposes or inferior visions. An example could be making as much money as you possibly can. Some people are on target, focused and passionate about making money. Other people live their life to be accepted by others or to seek the approval of other people. This is a life on mission, but it is an inferior mission. But I want to tell you that God has chosen human beings to make a difference in the world, to make a difference in other people's lives, eternal difference in other people's lives. And this is The purpose, the highest purpose and the highest goal and the highest vision that a person can live after. To make a difference and to be significant in this world. Most people, however, live their lives for self-gratification in pursuit of good food, in pursuit of sexual relationships, in pursuit of pleasure, in pursuit of owning nice clothes in pursuit of driving a beautiful car or having a fancy pad to live in. And uh, these are people who are focused on self-gratification. Then there are other people who just let life happen to them. There's whatever takes place as if they're some kind of powerless pawns being moved about by the powers that be, whether it's your family Uh, uh, or it's your boss or the government, and they just let life happen to them. But I want to tell you that without God, life has no true meaning. And uh, without any true meaning, life really has no hope. Without having meaning to your life. And a life without meaning, a life without mission, a life without purpose, is the kind of life that leads to frustration, emptiness, and abiding sadness. And the greatest tragedy for you is not to die, but the greatest tragedy is to live life without purpose or without mission. Now I want to tell you where hope comes from. Hope comes from having a meaningful purpose. If you don't understand the purpose for your life, it leads to hopelessness. If you don't understand the mission and the vision for your life, it leads to a sense of emptiness. But true hope comes from understanding and having a meaningful purpose. The kind of purpose that, that gives direction in your life and motivates you and focuses you and allows you to get on with what matters and abandon the things that don't really matter. This is what mission and purpose and vision will do for your life. Amen? And the Word of God, the B-I-B-L-E, will help you discover your purpose and meaning and your significance. Amen? And when you look in the Bible, when you study the Scriptures, you find there are several people who found their purpose while they were just living their lives. All of a sudden, purpose dawned on them. And our life is a journey. You know, we're just going somewhere. Maybe a journey towards getting your kids raised. Maybe you're praying, God, just help them graduate one day and get their own job. Maybe you're praying, God, let her get married so she'll move on out. Our lives are a journey. And uh, the, the question is, where are you going? You look in the Bible, there's a man named Jonah. He was on a journey to Tarshish. Maybe Tarshish was a place that was warm. It was a place where there was good trade. 
Hello? I'll talk to you later. Uh, a, a, a place of, <laughs> sorry about that. Uh, a, a place where he could make some money and, and have a good time in Tarshish. But upon deeper reflection, Jonah realized that he was really running from God's purpose. A lot of times our life's journey, we have things that we're doing or pursuing, but if we really think about it, we're just kind of ignoring or moving away from God's purpose because there were a lost people, a city that was heading to destruction people that didn't want to hear, people that were evil, and people that were indifferent. But I want to tell you that in terms of God's destiny for you, Tarshish is nowhere. Tarshish is a journey to nowhere. But where God wants you to go is where significance and meaning is, where lives can be changed, where eternal purposes could be impacted. And it was in the belly of a whale that Jonah prayed through and realized as God changed his heart that there was a purpose to his life and there was a meaning to his life and he embraced it. So I'm challenging you today to look at the word of God. Jesus made it clear that we have a purpose and our purpose is to seek and save the lost, to go and teach people about the Lord and to see them baptized and to see their lives transformed. Amen? Saul was on a journey as well. He was on his way to Damascus. He had a sealed letter, and he was going to stop this corrupt cult that was threatening Judaism. But when he got on the outskirts of Damascus, there was a light that shone into his eyes and a voice from heaven that said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Why are you doing this, Saul? Why are you involved in this? Saul, don't you understand that there's a city of Thessalonica that has a lot of lost people? That there's a city of Ephesus that needs the gospel? That there's a city of Rome that needs a message of truth? There's a city of Thyatira and Sardis and Philadelphia and Laodicea and Colossae and and, and Theropolis. They need the gospel. Why are you on this journey? It's time for you to get a hold of my mission, my goal, and my purpose, and your life will have real significance, Paul, when you begin to build the kingdom. Amen. The Bible says, Jesus said, The thief cometh not but to steal, kill, and destroy. But I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. He came to seek and to save that which was lost. When you look at the life and ministry of Jesus, it says, he said and made it clear, it's not his will that any should perish, but that all. Somebody look at your neighbor and say, all. The will of God is that all should come to repentance. Praise God. So the mission of Jesus Christ, his purpose was to take away our sins and to baptize us with the Holy Ghost, and he gave his life on the cross for a ransom because his life had meaning and purpose. He was a man on a mission, and he impacted the entire world. I want to tell you that the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, is the venue for real significance and real meaning in life. Jesus came across a group of fishermen. These were just fishermen. But these who began to follow Jesus became difference makers. Get this. They were just ordinary guys. They didn't have a lot of money. They didn't have a lot of influence. They didn't have a lot of education. They just followed Jesus. And when they got behind his mission, they made a massive difference 
in the world. What did they do? Well, they just introduced hope and salvation to the entire civilized world. Wow. A group of uneducated, non-influential individuals. They weren't Bible scholars. They weren't the movers and shakers in the community. They were just ordinary guys who responded when Jesus said, follow me and I will teach you how to fish for men. Follow me and I'll teach you how to fish for men. It's going to be a big transition for you guys because you're used to fishing for fish. But I'm going to teach you how to fish for men. Amen. It's a change in your purpose. It's a change in your journey. Because when you fish for fish, gentlemen, fish represents food for you. It represents finances. It means clothing and shelter. It means getting your family's needs met. You've been fishing for fish. But I'm going to teach you how to fish for men. Amen. Now, they kept their careers They continued to be tent makers and fishermen and provide, but at the same time, something got a hold of them. It was a real purpose and a real vision and a real meaning. And I want to tell you that we can continue in our careers as as teachers or working as engineers or, or working in government positions or wherever it is that we work, but our real mission and our real purpose and our real meaning in life comes from learning how to fish for men. I want to give you life significance, Jesus was saying. You can keep your career. You can continue to fish. But I want to give your life significance as well. I'm going to teach you how to fish for souls. Because he that winneth souls is wise. And this is the gospel of the kingdom. And 2,000 years later, here we are, 2,000 years later, reading about men who were Fishermen, a tax collector. Some of them, we don't even know their occupation. We read about them today because they were interrupted on their journey to nowhere and given purpose and meaning to their life. And I want to tell you today, look at me in the eyes because the Spirit of the Lord is upon me to declare to you that real purpose and meaning in life comes when you get about the Father's business, when you learn how to fish for men and fish for women and get a passion in your spirit to to do what Jesus did and complete his mission on the earth to seek and save that which is lost. Each and every one of us are called to live our lives on purpose and to live our lives with mission. And our purpose in life will be realized as we embrace the mission of God. Souls. Everybody say souls. Souls are the only things in this world of eternal value. And the Bible says, what would a man give in exchange for his soul? Take your most precious thing that you have. Is it your home? Is it uh, your, your career? Is it your education, your degree? Take all of that. And my question to you is if you had to choose between your degree and your eternal soul, what are you going to choose? It's a a question. It's a uh, rhetorical question because no man would give anything in exchange for his soul. And I want to tell you that when we love our neighbor as ourselves, we realize that there's nothing in our world more valuable than their soul. 
nothing in our world. No resource, no gift, no talent, no education, nothing that's more valuable than their soul. What will a man give in exchange for his soul? Because souls are eternal. Everything we see is temporary. Everything we see will only bring pleasure for a little while. Everything we see will grow old. Amen. Everything we treasure will one day be in the junkyard. Amen. Except for diamonds, they're forever. Amen. What's really forever is a soul. So if you want to talk about precious, talk about the little boy that lives down the street here. Amen. That needs Jesus. Talk about the mom and dad that are having troubles in their marriage and things are about to fall apart and they need the healer. They need the restorer to step into their family and step into their life. Uh, You and I have got to get passionate about the mission of Jesus Christ uh, because this community, our school, our family needs Jesus. He left the job to us. There's no plan B. Willis Reed is not coming through that door. Nobody's coming, you don't even know what I'm talking about. Nobody's coming to make up the difference. It's you and I. We're here. This is our city. This is our mission. This is our commission. This is your school. This is your family. God put you here. Jesus commissioned you to seek and save the lost. Hallelujah. Jesus lived his life on mission. And, and, And here's the thing about the Great Commission. Uh, as we'll read in Acts, it says you'll receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. Power to be a witness. Uh, let me skip forward here to uh, the Great Commission. I'm going to look at these four real quick. We already looked at the one in Matthew. Let's, let's read through these real quick. In uh, Mark chapter 16 and verse 15. Okay, we're talking about the final words of Jesus. We're going to look at the four different ones. We've looked at one already. So now let's jump and let's look at Mark chapter 16, verse 15. He said unto them, go ye. These are the last words of Jesus as recorded by Mark. He said, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth, verse 16, he that believeth and is baptized, once again we see baptism, shall be saved. But he that believeth not shall be damned. And these signs shall follow them that believe. In my name uh, shall they cast out devils. They shall speak with new tongues. They shall take up serpents. And if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. They shall lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. We notice here in this reading of the last words of Jesus, he tells them to go. I think go is pretty clear again. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to everybody. He that believes and is baptized. You've got to have faith and you've got to be baptized in order to be saved. He that believes not, there is no hope of salvation. And then there are going to be signs that follow the believers. Luke chapter 24 and verse 45. The last words of Jesus is recorded by Luke. Then opened he their understanding that they might understand the scriptures and said unto them, thus it is written and thus it behooved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day 
and that repentance, everybody say repentance, and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations beginning at Jerusalem. That repentance is going to be preached. Remission of sins in his name is going to be preached in all nations. Amen. So this is Luke, but if you know anything about the Bible, you know that uh, Luke also wrote the second half of the history. The first half of the history was the history of the life of Jesus, the book of Luke. Anybody know what the second half of his history was called? The book of Acts. That's why it starts out, Acts chapter 1, verse 1, the former treatise have I made, O Theophilus. He's talking about the book of Luke, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach until the day in which he was taken up after that he through the Holy Ghost. And uh, it goes on, but it says, I, I wrote the book of Luke. Now I'm going to tell the story of the church. And I want you to notice in that Luke, again, gives us the last words of Jesus, and he shares us a little bit more of the picture of Jesus' final words before he ascended. Acts chapter 1 and verse 4. And, Acts 1, 4 says, And being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which, saith he, ye have heard of me. For John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days thence. When they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? Are you going to kick out the Romans and, and put Israel back in charge? And he said unto them, It's not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power, but ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost is come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. And when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. So I want to give you the full picture here. From the four renderings of Jesus' last words, final uh, imploring expressions to his followers that were with him that day when they last saw him before he ascended. First of all, we see in this the Great Commission, this was Jesus' final words. He's telling them what he wants them to do when he leaves. First of all, in Luke we read that there would be repentance and remission of sins in the name of Jesus. Repentance would be a part of what was going to be preached. And then in the book of Mark, we saw, he said, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. The gospel, the message of Jesus, the message of the blood of Jesus and its atonement had to be believed and people had to be water baptized. In Matthew, we see baptism emphasized again. Go and baptize them in the name. Amen? In the name, and we see that's exactly what the disciples did and the early church did. They baptized them in the name of the Father and Son and Holy Spirit, which is Jesus Christ is the name that they baptized people in. All of them did that. They understood 
what Jesus was saying, but it emphasized again the importance of water baptism. And then in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, it says you're going to receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost, uh, the promise of the Father, which is going to give you power. And then in Matthew again, it says you will teach these new believers. Teach them to obey. Teach them to follow. Go to all nations. Go and teach. And the awesome thing is, is when the church begins, we say that, see that the disciples checked off everything that Jesus told them to do in his final words. Exactly. Look in Acts chapter 2, verse 37. This is after the Holy Spirit had been poured out. And now people... The outsiders, the unbelievers, the lost people come around. Peter preaches to them. And they say, as their hearts are pricked, what shall we do? Now, when they heard this, when they heard the message, the message of Jesus, the message of the gospel, they were pricked in their hearts and they said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Now, I want you to understand here right now. Got to make this real clear. Peter didn't start freestyling. Peter didn't say, man, I got a captive audience. I like this anointment. What shall I tell them to do? No. They had extremely clear direction from the great commission of Jesus Christ that they had to repent. Repentance had to be preached. That remission of sins through water baptism had to be preached. The promise of the baptism of the Spirit, the promise of the Father had to be preached. Amen? That people had to believe in Jesus. They had to repent. They had to be baptized. They had to receive the Spirit. And then that they needed to be taught the teachings of Jesus Christ. So look at this. It all comes together. There is no ambiguity. It is exceptionally clear. Look at what it says. Then Peter said unto them, repent. Well, repentance is going to be preached. And be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be damned. Baptize them in the name. Amen. In the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. Repentance and remission of sins will be preached in his name. And ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Jesus said ye shall receive power. After that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. This is the promise of the Father. And it's coming to you. Verse 39. Praise God. And this promise is unto you and to your children. To all that are afar off. Beginning at Jerusalem. Into the uttermost parts of the world. To those that are afar off. Even as many as the Lord our God shall call. Verse 40. And with any many other words did he testify and exhort. Saying save yourself from this untoward generation verse 41 and they that gladly received his word were baptized and the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls verse 42 and they continued steadfastly in the apostles doctrine what is doctrine? teaching in the teaching and in fellowship in breaking in bread breaking of bread and in prayers I want you to understand that the apostles got this thing started the right way. They specifically and exactly fulfilled the great commission of Jesus Christ as revealed by Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and Luke in his writing in the book of Acts. They did exactly what they were supposed to do. That's why it felt so good around here on Sunday. 
when people started receiving the Holy Ghost. When we started water baptizing people in Jesus' name. When we started handing people the 40-day journey and saying, study this, we're going to be tagging in with you. When we started telling them, come, come to our, uh, uh, our fresh beginning, uh, fresh start, <laughs> never mind. Starting point, hallelujah. We've changed that name so many times, but we got it now. Come to our starting point class, and uh, we're going to show you how to get connected here, connected to the body so that we can teach you, so that you can grow. You know why it felt so good? Because we're doing what we're supposed to be doing. We're, we're living our life on mission. Our church uh, is on mission. And I want to challenge uh, the people of God to recognize that all of us uh, have this responsibility to be on mission, to seek uh, and to save. We're doing what we were designed and commissioned to do. And once you're born into this family, your purpose is no longer the same as before. You may go ahead and get your education. You, you may go ahead and pursue career advancement and uh, material things. That's fine. But your mission is different. You become aligned with the purpose of Jesus Christ. And this great thing called the kingdom of God to seeking and saving that which is lost, to destroy the works of the devil, we become a part of this. And when you're not doing this, life becomes empty frustrating, and meaningless, even if you're going to church. God didn't save us just to come to church. We've been called and commissioned. We're to be a part of what Jesus began. We must now be about our Father's business, and coming to church is not enough. Praise God. It's not enough just to pursue business as usual. There's got to be a compelling force within us that says, I must be about my father's business. Jesus said to his disciples, follow me, follow me. I'm going to make you fishers of men, Matthew 4, 19. This is the father's business, fishing for men and making disciples. What are we supposed to be doing? Fishing for men, making disciples, nothing else. Anything else we're doing is superfluous. Fishing for men, making disciples. That's not pastor's role only. That's not our connections department. That's not a few people that evangelize. That's all of our responsibilities. I was driving up the road the other day on Myrtle, and I got up close to the cross street right by the park, Library Park, and I saw somebody out there lifting up their voice right on the corner. And they had one of the Life Church cards. And they were just lifting their voice, handing those cards to people. It was this guy right here. This guy right here was out on the street corner sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I said, man, that's awesome. That warms my heart. I want to get out there and be a part of what God's doing. You may say, well, it's not my personality to be on the street corner. You don't have to get on the street corner. Maybe it's in your family, in your workplace. You minister to somebody. You find somebody that's hurting. Find somebody nobody else is caring about and share the love of Jesus with them. The reality is somewhere, every one of us is to be seeking and saving the lost, to be about our Father's business. And when we ain't doing it, we're going to be miserable because we're not fulfilling our purpose. We're not doing what God has called us to do, to fish for men and to make disciples. Making disciples means teaching them and helping them and encouraging them and staying after them. And watching people get introduced to the gospel 
And watching the Holy Spirit impact people's lives is thrilling. There is nothing like it. But I'm telling you, it's fun having babies. Well, maybe not for mama. But it's fun when you get to hold the baby. It's just so exciting. But those parents that are here today, you know that your job as a parent is not done as soon as you give birth. Having a baby, celebrating the birth of the baby, and then turning away from the baby and doing whatever you were doing before is craziness. Now you recognize we got a baby. It's time to work. (laughs) We got a baby. It's going to take a lot of attention. It's going to take a lot of time. It's time to embrace the baby. It's time to nurture the baby. It's time to train the baby. And the same is true in our responsibility and our mission. It's not enough just to have people get baptized and rejoice and high five because we had 17 people receive the Holy Ghost for the first time. Praise God. We're, we're excited about what's happening and we're excited about the new babies in the delivery room, but somebody needs to come pick up the baby now, right? Somebody needs to take that baby home and start changing diapers. Somebody needs to take care of the needs of the baby. And the reality is there are too many churches where people aren't discipled where we don't come alongside and encourage. The Lord told us to make disciples. He told us to teach them. And when a person is born, that's the language the Bible used, born again. We can't afford to just ignore the babies. We've got to have moms and dads. We've got to have spiritual parents that are going to say, I know this baby's going to frustrate me sometimes. I know this baby's going to make me want to pull my hair out at times. Uh, I know this baby's going to do some crazy stuff every now and again, but this is a spiritual babe. They've been filled with the Spirit. Uh, The Lord has called them, and the Lord has filled them with the Spirit. Uh, So now it's my responsibility to disciple and nurture this person. Amen? Praise God. Can you imagine a hospital with only an emergency room? Praise God. We need to follow up on these people. Anytime we have guests, anytime people experience the power of God, those that have an experience, God always blesses good stewardship. He sent us prospects, and now it's our responsibility as the church. What are we going to do about them? What are we going to do about them? So in closing, I just want to say that we've got to be actively looking because we're on mission. It wasn't just the disciples, it's all of us. We've got to be actively looking for opportunities to introduce people to Jesus through the gospel and through the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's got to be an obsession for us because listen to me right now, Satan will do anything he can to ensure our disinterest, lack of concern, fearfulness, unwillingness to take responsibility when it comes to evangelism. He'll do anything he can to get us to pass the buck. But something's got to get a hold of us. Oh, God, help us. Something has got to grip us that says, I've got to be about my father's business. I've got to be fishing for men. So I'm question, my question is, who am I reaching for? My question to you is, who are you reaching for? Are you just shooting arrows Or is there somebody who has a target on their heart? Somebody you're investing in. Somebody you're leveraging your relational influence for their sake for eternity. Is there somebody you're praying for? Is there somebody that you're knocking on heaven's door for? 
if you can't quickly answer who it is, then we better get about our Father's business. And we better have some folks that we're praying for. We better develop a passion for evangelism. Who can I meet? Who can I follow up on? Amen. I heard of a pastor that recently said he made a commitment. I'm going to try to talk to five people about Jesus every single day of my life. Even if it's just something small, I'm going to try to talk. Well, maybe you don't want to do that, but what about one person? Could we make a commitment to try to share the love of Jesus with one person? Sometimes you may get ridiculed. Sometimes people may reject. But you're going to find that there are hungry people there that need to hear about Jesus. You and I have got to get about our Father's business. Amen? You and I have got to be about our Father's business. And we're going to be talking in the upcoming weeks about some special events that we're going to be doing at Life Church in our community around the Easter season. There's going to be a Friday night outreach. There's going to be a Saturday, Healthy Kids Day. Last time on Healthy Kids Day, we had an opportunity to connect with literally hundreds of people, dozens of families, many of them that have no church, many of them that aren't serving God. We're going to have another opportunity to do that this year. We're going to have an event, Easter in the Park. Last year we had between five and 700 people come out to that event. We're going to have that event again. And here's the deal. It's a great chance for you to get your hands dirty and your feet wet being about our Father's business, fishing for men. And it's not about three or four superstars that have all the personality. It's not about bringing Matt Maddox to town and let him go out and greet everybody. God gave you the Holy Ghost, and when he gave you the Spirit, he gave you power to be a witness. He said, because I have all authority, therefore you go. That means you have authority by extension. And one of the things that the devil will work overtime is to try to convince you that you can't do it. To convince you because of your past or because of certain issues with your character. Just like when when God came and called Gideon. Gideon said, surely God can't use me. I'm poor. I'm the poorest. Our family's the poorest family around here. And then on on top of that, my brothers are more handsome, got more charm and personality and and favor and get better grades than I do, in essence, is what he's saying. I'm the least in my father's house, and, and, and I come from a poor home. Amen? There's lots of times words come into our life that try to, that the enemy uses and parlays to try to get us backed into the corner and to get us to feel like we can't make a difference. Uh, but you can make a difference if you get about your father's business. Uh, if you start, oh God, help us right now. If you'll start living your life on mission. Now I want to tell you, if you're not reading the Bible, you ain't going to do this. Uh, and if you don't have a walk with God, if you're not praying, you're not going to do this. Uh, you've got to get it plugged into the spirit of God. And when you get plugged in with God, you'll begin to feel the heartbeat of God. And his purpose will become your purpose. And his mission will become your mission. And his life will become your life. Come on, somebody. I'm talking about being a part of the mission of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. And so all of us, all of us are seeking for people. And not just new birth, but the Father's business includes discipleship, which is helping people become more like Jesus in their thoughts feelings, and actions. We're all called to do this. And we have tools in the Word of God. Guess what? Hell can't stop us. Upon this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. That doesn't mean we're going to be able to hold off hell. That means hell's not going to be able to stop us. The 
gates of hell shall not prevail. The gates is not an offensive weapon. The gates is the borderline of their territory. The gates of hell, the borderline of hell's authority will not be able to stop the church. There are a lot of people that are behind the gates of hell. They are under the authority of Satan is in his kingdom. But the Bible says that the church is going to be able to charge through the gates of hell and the gates of hell will not stop the church. I'm going to tell you, Satan wasn't happy when people started receiving the Holy Ghost. Satan got nervous last week when you felt the courage to call up your family members and friends and say, come on out to church with me because he knew that you had just knocked down the gates of hell. Praise God. I remember telling this story before I went to visit uh, uh, Sister Jackie's house when your mother was uh, at, at death's door. And uh, there was a little gate that come down, you know, and you had to stop for the gate. And um, I don't know what I was doing. I, the gate went up, and I guess I took too long, and the gate came down. And uh, came down in front of my car, and I snapped the gate. It just a little flimsy wood thing just broke in half. And so I looked around. There was nobody there, so I drove off. Praise God. I told Sister Jackie what happened to Jesse. I don't know what took place. I'm going to tell you, the gates of hell are not foreboding. They're not impregnable. Amen. Praise God. Those people that need Jesus, they're not as far away as you think that they are. It's not as impossible as you think it is. It's just a flimsy little gate, and it can't stop the church. And when we understand that he said, I've got all authority go. I've already been given authority in heaven and in earth. There is no other authority other than through the name of Jesus. So because of that, I tell you, you can go. And you don't have to be intimidated. You don't have to be fearful. You don't have to wonder if you got what it takes. He gave you the commission. He gave you the authority. Nothing can stop the church. And nothing can stop a disciple of Jesus Christ that gets about our Father's mission. Come on, somebody. Let's stand and praise the Lord right now. Hallelujah. Stand and help me praise him right now. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise God. Praise God. I just want to repeat that it's hard to stay engaged in evangelism and discipleship when you're not praying regularly. It's almost impossible. So, that's my timer. 45 minutes is up. It's hard to stay engaged in evangelism when you're not praying because you'll lose the mind of Christ. You'll become carnally minded. You'll become self-centered. And instead of having the mind of Christ, you'll have the mind of self. Prayer keeps us in sync with his passion. Sometimes prayer feels like a waste of time. Can we be honest? Sometimes it's like, Why are we doing this? Sometimes you don't even recognize the benefit of it while you're doing it. But a little later that day, you recognize there's been an adjustment in my thinking. There's been an adjustment in my focus. I realize what my life is about. Amen. Sometimes early morning prayer on Monday morning, we're there. Sometimes I I kick back and stretch on this front row and halfway go to sleep, just being honest. Sometimes I repeat the same phrase three times, and I'm like, oop, I better get up and walk around. But, but I want to tell you that when you pray, 
when you make prayer a part of your life, when you make it a regular part of your life and you mix it together with reading the Word of God and make it a priority to be here on Tuesday night for Bible study and let the Word of God stir up, stir up, stir up what God's put in you and then season it with prayer, then, then, then you'll automatically begin to be a soul winner. You'll automatically be thinking about who can I disciple, who can I encourage, who's missed church uh, that, that, I can, that, that I can call. You know what I would love? I would love it when people try to quit coming to church. They've been coming to church. They try to quit coming to church that they finally call and say, call them off, please. Everybody is calling me. Everybody is encouraging me. Everybody is ministering to me. Can you please tell them to stop? Amen. Wouldn't that be awesome? Wouldn't that be awesome? I I guarantee you that we wouldn't have many people walking away from the Lord if everybody was about uh, our Father's business uh, and new people would be nurtured and strengthened. And when the enemy comes in, we got people that are going to fight with them and encourage them because we're a a part of God's purpose. Hallelujah. The passion in the heart of Jesus is to seek and save the lost. In Luke 15, he went after the lost sheep, the lost coin. The prodigal son, he left the 90 and 9 for the one that was lost. Then he rejoiced. He said, search the house for the lost coin. Then rejoice. Rejoice at the return of the lost son. That's why at Life Church, it ought to be crazy. It ought to go crazy when we baptize somebody, when somebody receives the Holy Ghost. We should have to be pulling you down off the walls. The Bible says that there is rejoicing in heaven over one sinner that comes to repentance. And when you lost... You lost that wedding ring, that special significant wedding ring, and it was lost for months, and you cleaned the house, and when you finally found it, it's like, (laughs) I mean, we had something like that this morning. We couldn't find my daughter's uh, school uniform skirt. We looked all over the place, and then we moved this uh, suitcase out of the way, and there it was. It was like, hallelujah, we found it. That ought to be in our spirit when somebody comes back. We've been looking for you. We've been waiting for you. That's the way it is in heaven. That's the way it ought to be here. Because we got the same heart as Jesus. And we're about the Father's business. No one else is going to do it. We're the ones that's called. This is our responsibility. Let's praise God together right now.